Well, hello, folks, and welcome to the eighth episode of Firmamental Podcast. I am your host, Raul. Hello to all my firmamentalists out there. Thank you for joining us. We got a very special guest in the house today. It's Scipio Ereditus, writer extraordinaire. He has an amazing substack that you folks need to go check out. It's called Dispatches from Reality. This guy is, man, he's something else. I am just blown away by this man's writing talent. I mean, he uses words and he has things in his vocabulary. I'm like, hold up, man. I got to go look up what this means. And I thought I had a pretty expansive vocabulary, man. This guy is smart. He's intelligent. He's got quite the story to tell. And he's just uh, an amazing person. We've been communicating. We met, you know, I think I reached out to him first through uh, the Fact Hunter. I heard him on the Fact Hunter with George Hobbs. And after I listened to his episode, I was like, I got to get a hold of this guy. And this was before I even started this show. And I started communicating with him through emails and he was super friendly and kind. And, you know, he sent me links to more of his material and I kind of dug into it. And I've just uh, got such a respect for this individual. And I just really wanted to bring him on this podcast and let him talk about whatever he wanted to talk about because he's got a, a, a high level of knowledge uh, about a lot of the things that we'd like to touch on on this show. So uh, uh, here he is, folks, Scipio Ereditus. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, Raul. Uh, yeah, I'm glad we could finally have a nice sit-down conversation. You know, we've been uh, chatting back and forth through email here, so it's good to uh, good to finally catch up. Yeah, we're so happy to have you on the show, you know, and 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 like I said to the to the listeners, man, I'm just so impressed. I was so impressed with you on the Fact Hunter. I was blown away by your episodes. It's probably, you know, easily one of my top three episodes that I've ever heard on that platform. And, uh, you know, when you got back to me and then I, you know, I think I told you at that time, you know, that I was planning on doing a podcast and you were like, you were very supportive and you're like, you know, we need more voices in the truth community and do it you know and you were totally hyping me up and then i came back to you i don't know how much later and i was like hey man got that show going and and you kind of shouted at me man I'd, I'd love to come on your show and be on your show and i was like absolutely absolutely man i'll make uh vip uh extra special space for you man let's get this in right away so here we are and uh yeah we're super happy to have you dude yeah, thank you, man. You're too kind. Uh, I guess a little bit about myself, just to introduce myself to the listeners. Uh, I uh, Please do. I My truth journey here, uh, it's been an interesting one for sure. Uh, I have always enjoyed history. I've always enjoyed reading. And, you know, 9-11 was one of the most pivotal, I mean, you know, like anyone alive at that time, you, you will never forget what you were doing that day, you know? And so... I uh, really stirred me up to go defend America and fight for freedom and, you know, all the stuff that uh, (laughs) tell you on TV. Uh, And then you get there and you realize that it's not anything like they've told you. It is, I mean, I wouldn't even classify it as a war, right? You're not trying to win anything. It's just a meat grinder. And so that really kind of removed the veil on what the government was capable of doing, what they were capable of saying to their people, right? And I mean, the stuff that was coming out during that time period when I was in Afghanistan, it was just, uh, we were on the verge of, we were on the verge of 
pure total democracy and uh everything was honky door and yet you know you look on the ground man yeah. i mean we were getting shelled every single night and so that uh really left sort of a bad taste in my mouth uh and yeah started me pursuing some of these uh the rabbit holes right and uh one of the big pivotal moments in my life was uh after i left the air force i went to college and uh i mean i went right into college after i left and so it was you know getting out of the military it's a tough transition for anyone and uh i thought a fraternity would be a you know a nice natural extension of you know that kind of camaraderie and that fellowship uh and it was nowhere near as benign as i thought it would be you know you think it's just a boys club or uh a get together with some funny handshakes and our initiation was held at a masonic lodge and they drove us there uh you know i was blindfolded i had a hood over my head i had no idea where i was uh, what building this was at the time and uh, as soon as i stepped over the threshold man it was a palpable sense of evil and i just couldn't shake that feeling of what went down there you know and so one of my fraternity brothers, uh, you know, it's funny how this stuff works out, right? One of my fraternity brothers gave me a copy of uh, William Cooper's book, Behold a Pale Horse. And uh, that's, that's, you know, if you want to talk about the origin story of how we ended up here, <laughs> that's it, right? You get a copy of that book, man. And it's, uh, I highly recommend it to the readers. It's, even though it's 30 plus years old now, it still is extremely relevant. Very relevant, you know, and, I, and I'm highly, uh, familiar with William Cooper's work and and you're right I do suggest that to any uh fledgling conspiracy theorist or you know that's what they label us as but I, I like to call it truth seeker you know people that like to dig and question the mainstream narrative and and similar to you I kind of you know became a truth seeker and uh 9-11 obviously was was a major catalyst and I had a friend that that I remember showed me a documentary that blew my mind and I was like oh my goodness we did this to ourselves and then it starts the rabbit hole, but it, my journey is over this long period of time to get to where I am now. But to me, it sounds like, you know, oh, with you, you know, it's, it's joining the military, having that whole experience firsthand, and then coming back home and carrying that experience with you. And then, you know, joining this fraternity uh, or brotherhood uh, and being immersed in this new world kind of opened up another door and, uh, yeah just keep going from there and uh you know we'll go into like all the things you want to talk about but uh yeah so pick up from from there and uh and and lead us into like all your stuff that you're doing now and you can talk about your sub stack and and uh what motivates you to write these pieces that you're constructing and talk a little bit about your works to the people who aren't familiar with you yet and uh, let us know a little bit about that and then we can get into the subjects that you want to talk about specifically today yeah absolutely thanks man uh so my i guess the main thrust of my writing is about the mystery religion and so this is something uh, uh that you see throughout the bible uh it's talked about in the old testament it's talked about in revelation right uh the mystery religion mystery babylon is the spirit that has plagued the church and has plagued god's people 
throughout all of history. And so as I was kind of going down the, you know, the occult rabbit hole, right? Uh, you know, fraternities, m- mine in particular, uh, has a ton of Masonic symbology. All the, the founding six were all Freemasons. Uh, you know, the fraternity claims they weren't Freemasons at the time. Uh, we just happened to copy all of their handshakes <laughs> and their, you know, their, uh, their oath, right? Uh, some of the symbology. It's, it is a, you know, it's right to, you talk about conspiracy theorists, uh, a term invented by the CIA to discredit people who didn't believe their really nonsensical story about how JFK was shot. And they love to paint this idea that Freemasonry, oh, this is just the fevered imaginations of people. I use primary sources. Most of my sources are Freemasons themselves. I mean, this is the there you go. nice thing about, uh, you know, children of the devil, right? I mean, they really are children of their father. And so his first sin was pride and their sin, you know, their major sin is pride here too. They can't help but, you know, be boastful about what they've done. And I mean, from a, a worldly perspective, right? Like you have to give them some credit, honestly. Uh, they have they have done a number upon Western societies, upon, you know, Christendom, uh, upon the church. It is staggering the amount of occult symbology, uh, occult ritualism that has, you know, not just uh, infiltrated America and the church, but I mean, our fa- our very foundations are upon some of this stuff, right? And that was... Uh, that was some of the most difficult stuff for me to, you know, to reconcile as a, a former patriot. You know, I would call myself gladly. Uh, you know, I would have died for America at one point. Uh, <laughs> that thought really makes me, I don't know, <laughs> kind of disgusted now. But I mean, I would have died for this country. Uh, and it is, it is shocking the true the true origins of this country. You know, and so from the words of Freemasons themselves. Uh, uh, they will claim that this is not true, right? Except all of the words that, you know, these people say, uh, they want you to read these, the Freemasons, the Grand Lodges, right? They will claim that they have nothing to do with them on the one hand, but on the other hand, you can go to any Grand Lodge website, you can go to uh, Masonic Research Lodges, and these men will be on their uh, recommended reading list, right? And so... I think one of the, I mean, this is, I don't know how much more blatant you can get than this, right? And so Manly P. Hall, uh, he is a infamous uh, cult historian, uh, probably one of the best, you know, uh, from from their perspective, uh, very good writer and a uh, very deep knowledge of these cults. And I mean, he wrote about some of this stuff before he even joined the Freemasons and he was made a 33rd degree Freemason uh, on site purely because of his work uh, for the fraternity. And so this is a man who definitely knows what he's talking and was recognized by the Freemasons as such, right? And so he says what the Masons revere here is Lucifer, right? So here's a direct quote. When the Mason learns that the key to the warrior on the block is the proper application of the dynamo of living power, he has learned the mystery of his craft. The seething, surging energies of Lucifer are in his hands. And before he may step onward and upward, he must prove his ability to properly apply energy. He must follow in the footsteps of his father, Tubal Cain, who with a mighty strength 
or the war god hammered his sword into a plowshare. Now, Tubal Cain is one of the ancestors of, you know, Cain uh, from Genesis, the uh, child of Adam and Eve. And so it's not just him. There are, you know, Albert Pike says it. Uh, there's a man yep. named uh, Walter Edward Waite. Uh, he was a uh, very high level uh, magician as well, Freemason. And he admits it as well, right? That this, the, when we get into the mystery religion and their, you know, the Gnostic conversion of reality. So to them, Lucifer is the good guy in the story. So basically God is a, and this is, I do not believe any of this, mind you, right? Uh, this is what these people believe. Uh, they believe God was a tyrant and that Lucifer by rebelling against God actually freed humanity and that we just have it all wrong. And he is the, uh, Lucifer is the one who is actually, you know, he has knowledge and he has truth and all of these things that the Bible tells us are all aspects of Jesus Christ. The Gnostics and the mystery religion claim that these are actually aspects of Lucifer. We just have it all backwards, right? And this is the symbology, the story, right? This is infested every single occult society. They're really different aspects, all of the same beasts here. And that's why I refer to it as the mystery religion, you know, uh, not like the Illuminati. And I mean, the Freemasons show up a lot, right? But they're still just, they're just one aspect of it. They're just one, uh, you know, denomination. Antical. <laughs> yeah, if you were, right? Uh, and so it is, it's really just shocking once you read these people's words. And I don't recommend that everyone do that, um, you know, if, if you haven't read the Bible yet, you should read the Bible first, right? Before you start digging into the enemy's uh, literature. Uh, but the Bible also says, right, that uh, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices, lest we be deceived. And so, you know, it is shameful to talk about the works of the darkness, but we must expose them and reprove them, you know, particularly when so much of this stuff has uh, unfortunately infested the church. Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'd like to interject here because I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm just like, Yes, 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 because you really know the history. And, and and I'd like to bring this aspect that I was thinking about while you were talking is like, you know, it's it's the same thing, the Freemasons, the Shriners, you know, they have advertisements where they're helping little children, you know, or fighting disease. And they, they, they that's how they outwardly the image that they would like to portray to, to portray to society is that they're, you know, these philanthropists and they're actually helping people out and they're seekers of seekers seekers of knowledge but uh you know as you as you just go read their writings it becomes pretty apparent as you start to look and dig into this stuff and then you look at how much influence that they've had you know infiltrating you know governments and and positions of power and you realize it really is all driven by power and greed and self servitude right it's the, actually the opposite and then that's the way the enemy operates right He's the master mimicker. God's the creator. He's the destroyer. He's the master deceiver. He right. He deceived Adam and Eve in the garden and into sin. He's been trying to destroy God's creation because the fallen angels were jealous of humanity, and they've been trying to find an in, a way to infiltrate us and 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 stop everything that Jesus did. And now that Jesus has already paid the penalty, he's already paid the price as the perfect sacrifice. They're devising these new plans and they had to re-strategize and they really have, you know, being influenced because nobody, Lucifer was there, you know, he was there from the time of creation, you know, and the, they know 
he knows God's word and he knows how to use it. You, that's why you need to be solid in God's word and get to really know the actual Holy Spirit, lest you be, be deceived by their devices. And that's where I agree with you. It's not for everybody. Everybody has their own place. We all have our own specific gifts. We all have all have our own unique uh, relationships with the Lord. And each one of us have different get, gifts. Some might be, you know, gift with um, gifted with healing and laying hands on somebody and, and praying for healing. Somebody might be a prayer warrior, but somebody might be, you know, a, a street professor or doing what we're doing on this podcast. Some people are called to be warriors. Some people are called to be mothers. Some people are called to be builders. Some people are called to be preachers. We all have different callings and I'm with you. I'm kind of like this spiritual warrior. And that's why I like your profile on your Substack. all the things that you say about yourself. You know, and and that's the way I look at myself. And I've always told that's why I had such a problem with mainstream religion and Christianity for for a long time, which God's worked on me recently and, and told me like, hey, you need to find a place to plug in and recharge. There are still real remnants of the real church that are out there bringing the truth and not scared to talk about what's going on, you know, and we need to start looking at this stuff like it's not taboo, you know, and I kind of put it upon myself and through prayer and God showing me things and reading his word like it's not like okay go out and research the occult and you know read the egyptian book of the dead and go read albert pike's writing and go read manly p hall the secret teachings and go study maria blavatsky and thelema and all this stuff but you realize how all these people all have ties to one another you know they all influence one another and they're all under the influence of the enemy and then it's like you see you can see their plan and the way they're orchestrating and and, and infiltrating God, what God's built and they're trying to destroy it from within. And Jesus himself warned us about false prophets and all this. And, and you just look at our society and, and it's becoming more prevalent every day how, fall, how far we've fallen from grace. It's really in our faces now. And I think that's why it's so important that we have these discussions. You know, it's not for everybody to get involved in the frontline battle with Lucifer. But to me, it's like, if I'm a cage fighter and I'm going to fight somebody, I want to watch videotape of that dude's fight so I can strategize on how I'm going to how how I'm going to protect myself and how I'm going to engage in this battle with my opponent. So I look at it as this when I'm studying the occult. And like you say, don't go and just start researching the occult if you haven't already immersed yourself in God's word and get to know God intimately and listen to that little voice inside of you that God gave us, which is called our conscience, right? Because God's voice is quiet people say i've never heard from god yes he speaks to you all the time it's just that little voice inside of you that tells you maybe i shouldn't do this but you still go ahead and do it well you just you just tune god's voice down and the devil's a shouter he's like on every hill he's on every now in our tvs and the computers and everything social media they're just shouting all this stuff and it's just propaganda and people are under this spell this illusion and, you know, these occultists know that the power and influence that all these institutions have. So they've infiltrated our educational institutions. They've infiltrated Hollywood. They've infiltrated radio, music, media. And the devil's got control of these industries. And these people that that own everything are on the same cult where they, you know, this is who they follow. You know, and now it's I think they're not even hiding themselves anymore. Like all these things that you would have told me as I was a child, I'm I'm 45 years old. I was born in 78, but growing up in the 80s and 90s as a kid, the stuff that they show now, if this would have been on the TV when I was a kid, there's no way it just wouldn't happen. But now it's so socially accepted. And if you speak out against it, we're the ones that are wrong. We're the ones that are being judgmental and they turn the table on us. Like, what do you think about all this? 
Yeah, you make a lot of good points, man. It is, you know, when you started off with, I think it's absolutely important that you not, you know, we not forsake the gathering of each other, right? And I think this is one of the big aspects of, uh, you know, the <laughs> the flu season in 2020 and about <laughs> the, you know, the social isolation. They wanted churches to shut down, man. I mean, there are churches still that have not recovered uh, from the damage that these things did uh, to people. You know, I mean, there is, there's a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of people that died because these churches shut down and their AA meetings shut down and their Narcotics mm-hmm. Anonymous meetings shut down, right? And these people wow. had nowhere else to go. You know, that was one of my cousins actually in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico had really terrible, I mean, some of the worst lockdowns in the world. And, you know, he had struggled with drugs before and he was locked at home all day, nothing to do, nowhere to go. And his mom finds him, you know, after he doesn't answer for a couple of days. And I mean, this is the this is the real toll that so many of these so-called pastors, dude, this is what your cowardice has brought on, right? And so Amen. there are a lot of watchmen out here. They're going to have to answer for seeing, you know, they saw the enemy on the horizon and they didn't blow the horn, you know? And it is, wow. it's absolutely shocking what's gone on here. But, you know, on the other hand, I guess you can't be too surprised, right? When so many of these churches are engaging in, you know, occult practices and occult rituals, uh, unwittingly, of course, they're going to be ripe for the devices of the enemy. And so this is... You know, I've been involved in politics. I, I was always very involved or, uh, you know, very fascinated and involved in politics. And, uh, you know, it's really taken a lot more of a back burner in the past, you know, five years or so, right? As you as you kind of realize so much of this stuff is, like, number one, right? So much of it's just not real. You know, it's like WWE, really. And I used to thought, you know, 10 years ago, I would have thought that's like a ridiculous statement. And then you look at these people and you look at, I mean, it's just, they're all part of the same club. They're all friends with each other, right? They're all going to the bar afterwards and having a good time. Uh, this is a show. It's a dance, right? And uh, it's whack-a-mole. It's a one big club down, and you're and not invited. Talks. Yeah, absolutely, man. That George Carlin bit. One of the truest one of the truest things that man ever said. And so it is, man, it's just crazy watching what the mystery religion has done to the church specifically, you know? It is... I think this, uh, you know, heliocentrism, you know, fervimental, right? This podcast, this is one of the major areas that the enemy has attacked the church. Because, I mean, if you can't, if you can't take what God has said, literally, if you can't believe what God's saying, right? I mean, we're talking about Genesis 1 here, the very first chapter, some of the very first words. If you can't interpret that literally, and if it doesn't mean what it says, I mean, if you can't take God at his word, then what the heck is the point of reading the rest of it, right? I mean, the amount of damage that this alone has done on undermined people's faith, uh, it is, it's something that, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, man, I don't want to cut you off, but you get me fired up. And, you know, it is truly a masterful work by the enemy, what he's able to pull off. And I wanted to reflect back to what you said about your, your cousin in Puerto Rico. And by the way, God rest his soul. You know, and that that's so sad to hear, and it really does break my heart. You and, and you know, you kind of get me emotional here, but uh, 
You know, you're so right. And, and, and people that, that's why I say we really need to know the intimate voice of God. You need to talk to the father directly. You have a direct line of communication with the source. Okay. And then so many of these religions, and I don't want to bash any religion, so I'm not going to bring up any specific denomination. We need to come together and realize we're all Christian brothers and sisters, right? And we need to put our differences aside and understand that we all have these unique relationships and we all have the right to have those unique relationships and and, and walk the walk that God wants us each to walk individually because we all serve a, a purpose collectively in his body. And what good is a body if one hand chops off the other? So the church quarreling amongst itself is already the enemy inside of the church, just like they did with the Black Panthers, you know, and the CIA, and just like they're doing with, uh, you know, a lot any of the, these uh, movements that grow to be too strong, they infiltrate them and break them apart. Now, obviously, God has the supreme plan, and He still has His remnant. You know, He still has His bride, but they really are. And the the 2020 thing to me is like I'm not. Uh, you know, uh, hyping myself up, but like, I never fell for it. I saw it for what it was. And, and the church that I was going to at that time, or I had been kind of attending here and there, I stopped going because they started pr uh, promoting these uh, political movements. They started getting behind a specific candidate. And I wasn't going to say which one, because now I don't play that either. I got sucked into that thing and I'm not doing it again in 2024 folks there's no way i'm calling for this again i'm not putting my faith in any man to come save us and i think that's what they're hyping it up like you know whether it's QAnon and 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 trump's gonna come save us and drain the swamp ain't no man gonna save you we got to look at ourselves in the mirror we got to hold ourselves accountable and be responsible for those around us that we have influence over which starts with your if you're a father with your relationship with your woman and your kids and then it branches out to your friends and family and people that you cross paths with at work or in your everyday life and you impact your world that way and we can make a change and it probably needs to start on a local political level because we battle powers and principalities in high places but like i saw that 2020 thing for what it was and when i saw these churches and they were like getting behind movements like black lives matter and they were telling you to take the jab and wear a mask and stay six feet part away by the way when they came up with that number six feet i was like there's the devil right there how do people not see this you know we were told by the lord I want you to lay hands on one another, pray for healing. You know, he calls for us to commune and break bread with one another. And here we are like, you know, holding church over a computer. And, you know, I totally forgot about that, man. Imagine Alcoholics Anonymous. Imagine Narcotics Anonymous. People that, you know, that became their new gathering. You know, instead of going to the bar, you go to those meetings and it replaces that social hour because it's triggers that trigger you back to your addictions, right? And that, dude, it was just this, it's so sad what happened. And we're barely starting to like, uh, you know, bring it back. And you know, they're going to try this again. And we need not fall for the same thing twice because fool me once, shame on me, uh, you know, or what is it? Fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. I don't know if I said that right, but yeah. you know, like we need to be prepared for this. And if we're the brothers in Christ, like us talking right now, and we're the watchdogs on the hill watching out for the enemy coming and we don't warn people or sound the trumpet you said it perfect like we're going to be held accountable before the lord for not fulfilling our duties and not looking out for one another so i do think it's vitally important that we use platforms like this or platforms like you're using through your writing to get it out there because we are the frontline resistance yeah absolutely man amen it's uh you know, I really got sucked into that Paul get you know the politics game uh, earlier in my life, and it is uh, 
we're not going to fix this country's problems by doing more of the same stuff, right? I mean, at the most fundamental level, these are spiritual problems and you are not going to get political solutions to spiritual problems. That's a simple, the simple fact of the matter. And so, I, I mean, and that's even debating whether, you know, or not to debate rather, whether this country is even diver- deserving of being saved. You know, you look at, mm. and you look at the symbology of our capital, right? Uh, take, take the Statue of Liberty, for example. I mean, this is one of the most iconic, uh, you know, American structures. I mean, it's like the symbol of America, right? It's our uh, our national icon. And that statue was sculpted by Freemasons. It was given to America by the French Grand Lodge, and it is modeled after Ishtar. It's modeled mm-hmm. after Isis. I mean, it is the whore of Babylon. She sits on many waters, right? She sits on an ocean and, and New York uh, Harbor here, right? It is- Ellis Island, dude. That's where, like when people were traveling for the American dream and that she's holding the beacon out there, that's the first place that they took them to Ellis Island, man. Oh yeah. And I mean, that beacon itself, right? The, the name of the statue is Liberty Enlightening the World. It is a Masonic symbol. It is a symbol for the occult knowledge, the hidden knowledge, right? And it's them basically giving this this Luciferian knowledge to the world. And I mean, the amount of the amount of occult symbolism within the Statue of Liberty, right? Like the uh, the crown, you know, uh, the corona, uh, that mm-hmm. was a symbol uh, for sun gods and goddesses throughout history. And it is uh, she's got a, a ton of symbology going on, right? And this is just one just one of our monuments you know take the oh Washington, dude yeah the washington monument for example right i mean the the symbology in that thing is crazy you know it's six thousand six hundred and sixty six feet tall there yep. there's five thousand five hundred and fifty five feet above ground or excuse me yeah five hundred fifty five feet above ground and that is six thousand six hundred sixty six inches yeah it's I mean, kind of like yeah yeah, it's just, and, and not to mention, you know, the obelisk, and it's very they they love uh they love a phallic sim, uh, symbology, they love sun symbology, you know, they hide it's it's a little nudge to them and their brothers and their lodge that they they put all this stuff and see we've been so immersed in seeing these things since we were young that we we're uh we're immersed in occult symbolism all the time. I was telling somebody the other day, like even the Nike swoosh represents the ring around Saturn, you know. And like, there's so much hidden symbology. And I think it was Manly P. Hall that said, once man understands symbology, it would be a great veil lifted from his eyes. You know, they, dude, Washington, D.C., I can't remember the name of the book. And maybe, Alex, you can go look it up. Um, because we got uh, the PR brains behind Firmamental and one of my brothers in the podcast. He's along with us. Um, but there's a book that was wrote about all the Masonic uh, symbolism in the, Uh, constructs of washington dc's buildings and like literally folks you can google this on like google maps uh washington dc streets literally form an owl and the white house is in the belly of the beast it's in the belly of the owl like it's just dude washington dc every building over there is masonic (laughs) yeah i mean the capital the name capital itself right is a reference to the capitoline hill in rome so this is one of the seven hills 
that Rome, the city of Rome was founded upon, and that's where the temple to Saturn was. And this was, you know, not an accident that they named it the Capitol or Capitol Hill. This was a direct reference and homage by Thomas Jefferson. He is the man who oversaw the creation and the architecture and the design of the Capitol building. So, I mean, every single thing that you see in the Capitol building right now, uh, Jefferson had a hand in the design of it. I mean, from the from the earliest, earliest days of this country, we have been steeped in occult symbology, right? And you talk about how much we see it on a daily basis. I mean, that's what so many of these events like 9-11, you know, you take the alleged moon landings, uh, East Palestine. uh, These are mass rituals. These are occult initiations. You know, part of the, part of each ritual and entering into the higher mysteries, uh, there is a shame and a fear that, you know, any cult is going to exert on its followers, right? I mean, this is how you break people down so you can rebuild them in whatever image you want, right? And so the amount of occult symbols in these events that are really, I mean, it seems like such a trivial thing, right? It seems like a trivial thing. Oh, on, you know, the dates, the, the you know, the astrological alignings, um, you know, some of the specific symbols, right? Uh, you know, for 9-11, for instance, Sirius, uh, that makes a ton of references and it is it seems like small things right but jesus christ warns us about it i mean everything we see we take into our spirit you know you have to guard your eyes about what you're watching what you know your ears as well but uh you know the eyes are the windows to the soul and so we may not think that these things are having an effect on us i can guarantee you the more and more you subject yourself to these things they have a physical and a spiritual effect on us absolutely and i think if you disagree, I mean, just think about this country before 9-11 and think about this country yes. afterwards. I mean, the amount yes. of fear that has been inculcated in this country. And I mean, you can't even get on an airplane now without being molested uh, by some government <laughs> agents. Yeah, you know, it's so true. So true. I mean, it's definitely psychological and it's psychologically scarring. And, and, and see, that's the one of the major tools of the enemy is to use fear. And by the way, uh, I did see that Alex, I believe he shot it across the screen, but I think it's called Solomon Builders. The, the What was that? You can bring it up again, Alex, or you can chime in and give us the name. It's uh, either Solomon's Builders or there's another book called The Secrets of the Masonic of Masonic Washington. And I'll include the, the links in the show description if anybody wants to buy those books. Yeah, thank you. So, so thank you, Alex. Yeah, so that's what I was talking about when I was referencing. You can go uh, read those books. It is tremendous. It'll show you all the Masonic and occult symbolism in all the buildings and all the concerts of Washington, D.C. That will blow your mind. Have you read that one, Scipio? Uh, I have not, no. Okay, so I want to get back to it, though. Thank you, Alex, uh, because I had something fresh in my mind and I didn't want to lose it. But, you know, you talk about 9-11, psychological, you know, you got people filled with fear. And, and God, God said... I think fear is the anti-God, right? I think we need to trust in God with our whole hearts. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, we're all human beings. We all have these emotions and fear is an, it, uh, obviously it's an emotion. But I think when you make decisions based in fear, you make irrational decisions. And the, they, the handlers have always used that against us. They say if we can steal them with fear, then we can manipulate them to make bad choices. And by by us submitting to fear and tapping out, 
they're like, oh, let daddy government take care of you because after that comes the Patriot Act and all this stuff. And they're slowly stripping away all of our rights, all of our constitutional rights. And, and that's the way they're able to extrapolate all this control over us, right? And I think like, like you say, all of this is stuff is symbolic. Like even think about during 9-11, people always forget like the Pentagon, you know, obviously there's, I've heard things that it was actually a missile that hit the Pentagon and it was, people say a plane didn't even hit it. But what is a Pentagon? It's a pentagram. And when they, when the supposed plane or missile, whatever hit it, right? It lights it on fire. That's a pentagram on fire. Like <laughs> you're going to tell me that's not a ritualistic uh, you know, act yeah, that they it is they a perpetrated on fire them. sacrifice. It's a fire sacrifice, right? And so the pen the symbology of the Pentagon is just absolutely mind blowing, right? So <laughs> seventy seven is a number very important to uh, Alistair Crowley, right? Uh, so seven seventy seven is you know seven to them, right? It's the uh, it's the number of perfection. And then you have the uh, the number eleven, which is the number of magic, and so these combined, right? This is basically bringing whatever magical ritual you are trying to complete into perfection, and so the amount of seventy sevens we see at the Pentagon is just, I mean, staggering, right? So flight seventy seven is the one that wow. allegedly crashes into the Pentagon, right? Uh, the Pentagon itself is 77 feet tall. It has seven levels. It's on the 77th Meridian West, right? And it gets even better. <laughs> so there was an airplane flying overhead at the time, an E-4B. They called a doomsday plane, right? So this is one of the planes that, the, you know, if there was ever a nuclear war, which is its own, you know, <laughs> interesting rabbit hole we could go down, uh, these planes would help, uh, you know, run the government essentially. And so the call sign of this plane was Venus 77. Now, Venus is the morning star, right? This plane, Lucifer 77, essentially. Wow. <laughs> this plane here. And it's, right? I guess you could call that a coincidence, I guess. Uh, you know, yeah. For the secular mind, I can understand how this is very hard to wrap your... I mean, to think about the level of planning and forethought that went into this, right? I mean, the Twin Towers themselves were consecrated yeah. on a on a day, uh, August 5th. Which, 33 uh, years. 33, 33 years. Yeah. Yep. On yeah. a significant occult date, right? I mean, this is the level of forethought and planning that goes into some of this stuff. Oh, and what's his name? That What's his name? The, the guy that owned the building... And then he just happened, his wife just happened to tell him that day that he should go to the dentist. And then he openly brags on that interview about, you know, like, and then Larry Silverstein insurance. Yeah. He talks about the insurance claim and, and you know, how he got paid out. Like, dude, like you said, this stuff isn't coincidental. And that's the thing. That's why you got to dig. You can't just go off what the mainstream tells us. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous to think like the one that I used to always laugh at too was they said a uh, FBI agent found one of the uh, terrorist uh, uh, cards, remember, in the explosion? Yeah, they found it's like, the, okay, uh, this... Yeah, they, what was it uh, that they found their IDs. passport? <laughs> yeah, one of their IDs. And it's like, okay, so this plane blew up and it's hot enough to melt structural steel and implode it. 
but this guy's ID was found blocks away by a federal agent. Like, get out of here, man. Yeah, it's, it's a, we got some thunder rolling over here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's wild yeah. stuff, man. It's wild stuff. And it's, I mean, this is not the only event that's steeped in this kind of numerology and symbology. Uh, the Trinity tests, the nuke tests, another event with a ton of occult symbology, right? Uh, and there's that new movie, Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got to reprime that pump, right? Uh <laughs> Got to make sure we're all afraid of nukes still. Hey, man, I want you to go down this rabbit hole now, man, because I, I actually was reading uh, the, the series you started writing about this. So so let them know what you've uncovered as far as like the nuke, nukes go. This so this is, mind, really fascinating. This, is why I brought, yeah. this is why I brought Scipio on the show right here. Uh, let, I'm going to let you run on this one, Wild Stallion. Thanks, man. Yeah, this was a really fascinating one. So... I had kind of been kicking the idea around for a while, uh, just like the logistics of servicing the nuclear arsenal uh, with any amount of like regularity. And so I was like, man, there's, you know, X amount of warheads. There's only so many amount of people that can actually fix these things. And I did the math, right? And so essentially it breaks down, uh, you would need someone, a technician, taking apart a warhead and, you know, doing whatever maintenance it needs, right? And fixing it. For the amount of warheads we have, uh, you know, conservative estimate amount of these technicians, right? A couple hundred of them. It would have taken two hours to finish one warhead, right? To disassemble, do the maintenance, reassemble it, make sure everything's good. Two hours every single day for the entire year to service on a yearly basis our entire nuclear arsenal, right? And so when I saw that math, I was like, man, this doesn't make sense. You know, so either these things are just not being worked on very, very often. And we have no idea if they're going to work, if we ever needed to to drop the dang things uh, or there's something else going on here. Right. And so I started looking and digging and I found uh, some really fascinating books. Um, you know, the both of these are very good. So there is Hiroshima Revisited by Dr. Michael Palmer. Uh, and he, you know, I cover some of his writing in the uh, in the article series I did. Uh, it's called the Coincidence Zone Atomic Edition. And so, Dr. Palmer, and then there's a Japanese scientist called uh, Dr. Uh, Nakatani. He wrote Death Object, and both of these books kind of go into uh, really the farce that is Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, the physical evidence that we have, right? And some of this is hard, you know, the the pictures really are worth a thousand words here. You know, you look at some of this stuff, it's like, oh yeah, obviously this is fake. Uh, you know, like the nuclear shadows, for instance, right? I, I looked at a picture of nuclear shadows and I mean, supposedly this is hot enough to burn, to vaporize, right? To turn bone into vapor, which is thousands of uh, degrees, but it's not hot enough to burn wood. I mean, there are pictures of uh, people you know, shadows cast from wood structures onto other wood structures. Uh, and somehow the wood's not burnt. And so this was, there's so many irregularities, just things that don't make sense, right? Um, beyond some of these very strange artifacts. You know, the the biggest thing is that the, the, the type of radiation that should have been created by a nuclear bat blast at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it, it doesn't exist, right? So we're looking for a specific type of a, a cesium particle, and there is none present. 
that just doesn't that doesn't make sense you know uh not only that but also just the the burst itself and the layout of the nuclear uh waste across the city uh, doesn't match uh the wind pattern from that day doesn't match a a normal blast pattern and so Dr. Palmer goes through this uh, very, very thoroughly in his book. I mean, it is a it's an academic work. Uh, it's not, you know, this man is a doctor. Uh, he has cited the medical literature for all this stuff, right? And this is really some of the slam dunk stuff is that there are people who are theoretically within the lethal uh, radiation limits, right? So the way nuclear bombs work is or how they're supposed to work is you take two chunks of, you know, plutonium in this instance for the uh you know the little uh little boy and fat man uh they smash two pieces of plutonium together right and it creates this gigantic explosion and the fireball is hotter than the sun right and uh now the fireball is not you know miles miles big but the blast damage is supposed to be miles and miles large here and so the the radiation the lethal radiation within a mile if i mean you should die pretty much instantly and yet we have hundreds of people you know most famously there's a convent of eight jesuit priests who survive within you know let's call it ground zero of the blast here and that just again is impossible right for the amount of radiation that was released within this blast zone there's no way anyone should be alive and there's a lot of people that are alive and so the hypothesis that Dr. Palmer and Dr. Akhtatani, uh, you know, and some others have put forward, and I agree with, is that you look at the medical literature, all of these wounds do not conform with nuclear radiation. Now, what they do conform with is exposure to napalm gas and mustard gas, right? And so there is a very strange anomaly within the death rates of people inside that ground zero blast. People in buildings died at a higher rate than those outside of buildings. Now, for a nuclear, you know, nuclear bomb, that doesn't make any sense, you know. But if this is a chemical weapon, if this is napalm and fire, then that makes total sense, right? Because the gas is trapping, or the buildings rather, trapping this, uh, the gas inside of it. And so, you look at the people of Hiroshima and Nagasaki today. There is not any long-lasting damage. They're not irradiated waste zones. These places are thriving. There's no uh, discernible nuclear levels there, right? And so the genetic damage that you would think would have been passed on. Now, there is some genetic damage that is shown from people that were exposed in utero, right? So pregnant women whose fetuses were exposed to these chemicals, there is genetic damage from that, right? But like long-lasting genetic, like harming people's, you know, DNA, and then that being passed on to their children, you don't see that in Hiroshima or Nagasaki. And there is a lot of medical literature that talks about this. I mean, we're not talking about small sample sizes either. I think the the last one that was run uh, was like almost eighty thousand people in this survey. You know, the the children of survivors of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and there's no discernible difference between the control group and uh, the children of these victims, you know? And so this is the kind of stuff, right? It just doesn't make sense. So, so in saying this, cause I, I always think of like a, like a nuclear radiation blast and by no means at all am I a scientist. I don't have a very scientific mind. Um, but uh, 
you know, even me, like when I think about nuclear waste and all this stuff, you think of like these monstrosities being born and like somebody being born with a arm growing out of their back and the fish climbing out of the water with, uh, with five eyes and you feel like the way that they do it on the cartoons and stuff <laughs> like, you know, like how come you're not seeing these anomalies in these situations if this event is really what they're saying? So in, in saying all this, like, what's the point then? And it's fear, right? They want us I to mean, fear this because because then they had like, uh, you know, the new, it, well, it gives birth to all these things like the nuclear arms race and, you know, uh, the Cold War. And it's a way to keep humanity in a perpetual state of fear and further fuel the industrial war machine. But like, give us more, like, give us a little bit more of like, why? Why would they do that? Why would they lie? Like, because I think that just your average listener tuning in and you got their ears perked up, like, why would they do that? Yeah, the why is, I mean, the why is always so multifaceted uh, with these mass rituals, right? The primary focus, like you identified, it is fear. It's instilling fear uh, and instilling terror into people because when you are in this heightened state, you are not making rational decisions. And so it has, I mean, the amount of money that we've spent alone on nuclear weapons. We're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars. It's like 20% of our national debt right now we have spent on nuclear weapons. So it's like, man, why would anyone want to lie about this stuff? Why would anyone want to make it up? Well, there's trillions of reasons why they would want to do something go. like this, you know? And it is, uh, it's something that, I mean, with legitimate technological advances, someone should have reproduce this by now right i mean think about all the the hateful you know islamic terrorists uh, the ones not funded by the cia uh that want to destroy us uh, they haven't figured it out yet no one could you know i mean 14 year olds have recreated fission generators in their garage but uh people who hate you know america and freedom and all the other stuff we're told uh they haven't figured it out yet it, it you know it beggars belief yeah it, it just doesn't make sense you know and, you know, this is something new that, that you know, guys like you and the writings that you're producing and this whole like nuclear arms race, you know, being a hoax and nukes being a hoax, you know, and like you say, trillions of reasons why, you know, and people say, well, how could they pull that off? Because like, you know, where I live in New Mexico, I mean, geez, this place, I mean, is just ridiculous. Los Alamos Labs, Sandia Labs, you know, and I don't want to get into it, but I have family members that work for them and yeah, they they will not talk about where they can't talk about work. But I just want to let the people know how they could pull this off. They compartmentalize everything. So there could be two dudes working on a project and they could be working on a very specific, just the, the little tiniest part of this project. And they cannot, they, they have to talk to their direct boss or whoever is giving them, you know, their, their, um, you know, the commands that they need to follow to, to, build whatever it is that they're work on whatever part that they're working on and then they got a guy in a room next to him and he's working on something else and these two people can't even talk to one another you know what i mean so you got to think that's the way that they they need they operate you know they have controllers for the controllers and all the information is controlled they're sworn to secrecy you know and you can't just openly talk about these things so yeah it, it to outwardly it looks like oh well we got to keep this information uh you know, under the strictest of clearance and you got to have all these security clearances. And, but meanwhile, all the people that are actually on the ground level working on this stuff, they're so compartmentalized and they can't talk about it 
while meanwhile, where's all this money going? What is it really going to? It's going in the the hands of the elite, you know? And that's the same thing with NASA, you know? And that's why, you know, the whole flat earth thing for me was so big. And and for me, the biggest thing that, that really sold me on flat earth was, well, after I started to realize how much it lined up with scripture and I started to learn to take scripture more literally and pay attention to what my senses were telling me. And, uh, and then I know that we've been lied to about all these other things is it, it, it kind of became easy for me to accept that maybe we live on this, this, uh, level non-rotating surface that's immovable. We're the center of the universe. The sun and the moon is a sky clock and it starts to make more sense, but it didn't happen overnight because it's so hard to, to deprogram yourself. But, you know, it's just, it's the same way with, all, with all these other things. It's hard to wrap your mind on how, how can they pull this off? But then once you start to put, to piece the puzzle together and it takes time, but you know what, what's good for you is mental exercises and listening to guys like Scipio talk and go and read these books and look at it for yourself. Don't look at, and I mean, look, they're coming out with propaganda now. I haven't watched the Oppenheimer movie yet, but I'm going to watch it just because I want to see all the symbolism that they're showing us. But this is just going to further instill and drive this into people's subconscious that these things are real. And like what I was getting to with NASA is that's what really led me to a lot of this is because you look, NASA has gets $70 million a day, I think is their budget. And it's like, what are they doing with this money? And they will always come out with these stories like, oh, you know, we're under threat of being slammed by some meteor and a meteor the size of, of two school buses flew by, missed the earth by 30 miles. And, you know, we need to invest in, a, in a, you know, um, the space force now because we're under threat. And that's the big thing now is like aliens and and they're uncovering, uh, you know, uh, non-Earth uh, biolo- bi- biolo- biological matter, and and this is coming from somewhere else. And they're you, they're ushering into this thing like where we're under threat of like aliens and meteors. So we need to have NASA, which is an exploration institution, you know. But we know that they can't get through the firmament. Like, where did they lose this technology that they've never been able to get back, you know? And and. That would have been under more strict lock and key than the Ark of the Covenant. You know what I mean? They wouldn't just let that technology go away like a fart in the wind. Like, no way, you know? But And now with the with the modern science, we can't even get back. You know, you got this guy, we made fun of the Red Bull jump going up into the stratosphere and he jumps out and he lands back in the same place. Like, come on, folks, think about this stuff. But but they're like, well, why? You know, well, you know, maybe it's not outer space. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm sure we don't know what lines beyond the, the heaven of the firmament. It says there's multiple layers to heaven, you know, but like I think of outer space too. Like, why are they hiding Antarctica? And I start looking at all this stuff and then I'm like, oh, the moon landing was a hoax. And Stanley Kubrick is buddy, buddy with these guys. And Jack Parsons is in Jack Parsons is part of Alistair uh, Crowley's Thelema cult. And he built the jet propulsion labs. And their buddy buddy was with, si- with uh, these science fiction writers like L. Ron Hubbard and and Walt Disney's friends with with Nazis and he's a thirty third degree Mason and they're making documentaries about space and space exploration and and they just come up with this random stuff and then you look at NASA over here getting seventy million dollars a day and all these Americans think all this stuff is real and and so we're just feeding this and it, where is it going where's this money going what are they doing with this 70 million dollars a day i mean we could be feeding and clothing the poor of the world yeah it's uh you know i wanted to touch on that uh compartmentalization thing you brought up right because it is even if you buy the story of the you know the trinity test and the manhattan project uh 
there were 500,000 people who worked on the Manhattan Project, right? And the amount of people who knew that they were actually building a nuclear bomb was less than 10. So, I mean, this is what we're talking about, right? You could have hundreds of thousands, millions of people working on something, working on an industry, and they think, you know, I'm making a bolt for this, or I'm making a nut for that, or, you know, they don't, they have no idea of the bigger picture of what's going on here, right? And I mean, this is, uh, this is pretty standard military stuff, you know, for anyone who has had any kind of, you know, security clearance, top secret, uh, SCI, or what have you. Uh, you know, right? There's all sorts of stuff. I mean, it, just because you have a security clearance doesn't mean they tell you everything that's going on here, right? It's uh, you. It's a need-to-know basis. You get told what you have to, and so yeah, I guess this is like a good point to you know kind of jump off with uh, you know, a little bit of the the flat Earth, right? The firmamental, because this was actually one of the conspiracies I got to the last, you know. Uh, but once I started reading the scripture and like really paying attention to what was being said here, uh, it's, it's stunning, you know? And so the, the thing that really convinced me personally is the moon, the moon makes its own light. You can go out and test this, right? You can, uh, you know, get a temperature reader. The moonlight is colder than the shadows. And so god's word tells us this so the fourth mm-hmm. day so let's go to genesis you know verse 14 here and god said let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so and god made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the the light, there is a greater light to rule the day and there's the lesser light to rule the night. So, you know, what science tells us, the science, quote unquote, right? Because I mean, science is just a process of coming to you know logical deductions and you know experimentation right like that doesn't happen anymore it's just math problems and stuff mm-hmm. so when you go out and actually do some of these experiments you can go and test it for yourself the moonlight's colder it has its own light it's not reflecting the sun's light right which if it was reflecting the sun's light which is what we're told then it should be making things hotter like sunlight does and yet it doesn't and so when i saw that I was, I was kind of blown away at first. I was like, are you kidding me? So, you know, the moon makes, the moon makes its own light. And then you go look it up and sure enough, it does. You know, was that your silver bullet? Like that was the main one that started to open you up to the, the flat. When I saw the, that the moon made, the moon's light is cold, right? Like several degrees colder. When I saw that, I was like, okay, yep. God says that it makes its own light. It has its own light, you know? <laughs> Like God be true. So here's man a liar. Yep. And 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 you you read it in that scripture in Genesis, right? He said that, and this is the way that that in my research that I've come to understand, right? The sun tells you the time of day it is, the moon tells you what time of the month it is, and the stars tell you what time of the year it is, and it's a sky clock. And that's why these ancient megaliths that were built by these, you know, we think the ancient men were these knuckle dragging idiots and that it was extraterrestrials that came down and and did all this stuff for them. And maybe I think there was influence, but they were influenced 
and this is something we might be able to get into. It might lead into another rabbit hole, but you know, um, you know, maybe they were under the influence of the fallen angels and they were showing them the technology of the heavens and their knowledge of the cosmos, right? But uh, you know, if all these fi- these fixated, like Polaris being fi- uh, fixated, you know, above the North Pole and the other celestial bodies moving around it, they're they're moving around the Earth. It's a sky clock made for the Earth for God's creation, you know. And I look at it. Like the sun is the positive, the moon is the negative, you know, and, and there's an answer for everything in the flat earth realm. Like people be like, well, then what about like gravity? Well, even Neil deGrasse Tyson himself says like, oh, we don't even really know what gravity is. They don't. And then, you know, and then, and then you look at density and buoyancy and that makes a lot of sense, right? And I've said it on previous episodes, but I'll say it again. Just hold your hand with the golf ball in, in it, uh, uh, ping pong ball and a helium balloon and hold it over some water and drop them the golf ball will drop first it'll sink to the bottom of the water then the ping pong ball is going to drop it's going to float on the water and the helium balloon is going to float up into the air it's density and buoyancy and same thing with electrostatic force and electricians and, and, and energy being grounded lightning comes to the ground it comes and feeds into the ground right and, and it's like anything with a slightly positive charge will be attracted to it. So it could be density and buoyancy and electrostatic force. You know, what about the tides of the ocean? There's large bodies of, of fresh water. How come they don't have tides? Only salt water has tides. And, you know, it, salt has a, a response to electric charges. And if the sun is a, a positive charge and the moon is a negative charge, that could be causing the tides of the ocean, not to mention maybe the giant ice wall. And I, I use this comparison, like think if you go to a water park, you have the ocean, I think we're out where you live, but over here, we have to go to a generic water park and they have these, these pools that create waves. You've seen those things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a giant wall pushing and creating the wave, right? So what if it's the movement of the ice wall creating our waves, the movement of our cup, you know? And, and I, I, I know we have to use flat earth because that's the way people are finding us. So we have to put flat earth in our descriptions or in the names of our show. But Alex and I and Claude, we 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 want to change that somehow and start calling it true Earth. It just is what it is. But uh, you started off with the moon thing. But what else? What else has have you uncovered as far as true Earth or biblical Earth or flat Earth? Um, what else just kind of like made you say, "Oh my gosh, this is real"? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Polaris one was another big one too. Uh, that was, you know, you can look at, uh, you know, time-lapse videos of the North star staying absolutely motionless and all of the stars moving around it, you know? And that was another one where it's like, okay, well, this doesn't make any sense. If we're moving around and the sun's moving around and everything else is, you know, moving, we're hurtling through, you know, space at 66,000, uh, 600 mm-hmm. miles per hour, uh, you know, six, 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 six again. They love that yeah, number. Conspicuous number there. Yeah. Totally a coincidence, I'm sure. And so it was, I mean, the other really big thing that kind of, I did a, a Bible study, I guess you would call it, uh, about stars. Like what is a star, right? And you go and look through God's word. Doesn't it say they're angels? They are angels, Right. Every single instance of a star, I mean, besides two, uh, which are its own, but, you know, talking about the six-pointed star, uh, the seal of uh, Saturn, but those are aberrations. Almost every other time that a star is mentioned, it's talking about the stars in heaven, right? The stars in the firmament. And so it was incredible. I mean, just 
encourage all the readers, you know, I, this is in my, uh, my first, I, I like the term biblical cosmology personally, you know, cause I mean, that's what it is, right? This is just, this is what God's word said. And we can either take it literally, right? And we can believe him at, you know, face value, or we can create all these very convoluted uh, ideas about it, right? And we can see the fruits of, of that truly in our society. And so it is, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing reading his word and, and, and seeing, you know, how clear it is, how much he talks about the stars being angels and how the stars are fighting and the stars are, you know, when you, uh, you know, the Olivet Discourse, right? Talking about the day of the Lord and the the moon not giving forth her light anymore and the stars falling to the earth. Uh, I mean, if stars mm-hmm. are, if the sun fell to the earth, we're pretty, we're pretty screwed. <laughs> it's going to be, there's going to be a real short apocalypse. If you know the sun yeah. falls to the earth, I mean, we're just going to be like sucked into it, basically. It's, it is probably one of the most profound one of the most profound bible studies i've ever done you know and really just i think this is the other thing too about you know that immediately just spoke to my spirit right is that it is by you know us hurtling through space uh you know constantly expanding universe uh, one of billions trillions uh you know an infinite expanding uh, amount of planets uh we're just like you know space jump right flying through flying through space that's what uh that's what bill nye and neil degrasse tyson all these other you know smart people quote unquote will tell you and it's my relationship with god feels so much more real it feels so much more personal uh i have you know i feel like it's made me i mean he's what he's above us watching us right he's above us watching us and it it's it just makes you, it really makes you appreciate how intimate of a relationship we truly do have and that we can't have with our creator. You know, uh, there is no word in Hebrew for dimension, right? There's not some kind of unseen realm or, you know, string theory universe, uh, right? There's no multiverse here. He is above us. He is with us. Maybe we can't see some of this stuff, right? But that doesn't mean it's not here and it's not happening. And so I think this is one, maybe the most insidious lie uh, that has wormed its way into the church, you know, and it's this idea that God really doesn't care about us and he used some impersonal manner to create humanity, right? The big bang. Uh, I, I mean, I used to go to churches that they would preach that. Yeah. They'd be like, oh yeah, God can use the big bang to do what he wants. That's not what his word says. Yeah, you know, okay? That's not what his word says. He he formed us out of the dust with his hands. He didn't, you know, make a big explosion. Yes, you know, and I always think, you know, like order does not come from chaos, okay? Now, maybe chaos can come out of order because we've been given free will. But I mean, and people have heard this time and time again, you know, like, you know, a tornado goes through a, a scrap yard blows it all the bits, scatters it everywhere. When the tornado dissipates, it lays down a perfectly brand new Lamborghini. That just don't happen. You know what I mean? Everything has a very specific balance. Everything has a very specific place and order. And I think that's why what's going on now is every time man starts getting influenced by the demons, the demonic, like the fallen ones, like it, it, they, it leads to our own destruction. And that's why God destroyed the, 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 uh, 
well, not destroyed the world, but he, he, he got rid of the remnants of the fallen angels and the Nephilim with the great flood, right? And it was because they were intermingling with humans and they were disturbing God's creation. They were creating these genetic monstrosities. And I heard this like awesome, it was, I think on George Hopkins where he was just talking to the guy and he was talking about unicorns and how like all these little girls have unicorn dolls and unicorn posters in their room. But actually the unicorn was a monstrosity created by the fallen angels and it was their war horses. And they're depicted in all these old occult, like, you know, paintings and stuff. And, and you look at it, you know, and I think that's what's happening now. And Jesus said, when the son of man returns, it'll be as in the days of Noah. And I think that's one of those signs that when we really start to look at it, you know, all this stuff is going on. The new mRNA vaccine, gene altering solution. It changes your genetic structure. You know, it has nanotechnology and graphene in it. You want to inject this stuff into your body, your, your, your temple, your house, where the Holy Spirit lives, where the spirit of God lives inside of you. Like, I, sorry, but I don't want to inject that into my system, you know? And then you look at, at, at transhumanism and they want to marry man with technology. And you know what all the elitists want is they're going to build themselves these cybernetic bodies that they believe they can download their consciousness to and escape God's penalty of sin, which is death. And they could have eternal life and they're going to enslave those who they want to leave over to, to be their puppets. And they're going to give us the scraps and they're going to be our controllers. All this is influenced by the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim that were destroyed during Genesis 6, you know, and it's coming back and it's resurfacing and they're going to have this giant reemergence of these, but it's the fallen angels, guys. It's not these extraterrestrials like they make them in outer space and like, you know, Star Wars. And, and it's crazy because like, you know, Alex told me, you know, who's riding along with us throughout this. Yeah, he, he was telling me like his daughter go, goes to kids go to a Catholic school and they teach him about, uh, you know, the heliocentric model and they teach him about the Big Bang and all this stuff. And it's like, why are they doing this in like God's institutions? Like it's it's like we can take what God made beautifully and God made perfect. And then we start adding our things in it and we try to make God's word fit to like what we the way we want to make it seem like it fits, you know, and, and it's these you know, pipe smoking occultist scientists who are under the influence of Lucifer coming up with this crazy stuff. And all of the numbers that they come up with just happen to be like occultish. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's like obvious. It becomes, I don't know, it's becoming obvious to me, but I guess to a lot of people, it's hard to wrap your mind around this stuff. And it takes some time to get to these conclusions. It doesn't happen overnight, but you know, there's people inside of the church that are like calling us crazy. Yeah, it's uh man, uh shock out of information there. Uh I agree with you hundred percent, right? It's uh for most of the history of the church, this idea has been kind of out of vogue, uh, you know, right around the time of Saint Augustine. Uh and it is, you know, part of my truth journey has been trying to unravel not just the conspiracies that have infiltrated our societies right but uh, these same conspiracies that have infiltrated the church and so this uh this idea right that we would look at some of these like genesis for instance and this would be a metaphor or an allegory for something uh that's just not how the early church fathers thought that's not how the hebrews thought that's not how jesus or the apostles thought right uh the literal interpretation was the main method of interpretation of the Bible uh, until about you know 300 uh, AD, 
And so, you know, it's around 500 AD that we get the idea, right, that these giants that we're talking about are not actually giants. You know, they're not, uh, this is uh, called the Sethite view, right, that basically uh, the holy sons of the god, right, the tribe of Seth intermingle with the daughters of Cain. And these are just, you know, great men, uh, mighty men or whatever. Uh, mighty men of lore. <laughs> yeah. But you you look at the rest of the, you look at the other instances of you know, the sons of God, this Nephilim, uh, you know, moniker within uh, scripture, there is not a ton of them. But from the instances that we get, I think the best, you know, the example, right, that I think scripturally really proves that these are not humans, but that these are angels is Job 38, 7, right? And so that talks about uh, the morning stars. Uh, yeah, let me pull it up here, actually. So this is the one where the, the, the people in the village wanted to copulate with them, correct? Uh, so this is, this is Job 38, seven. So this is when, uh, you know, Job's in like, oh, what was me? And then God shows up in a hit in a storm cloud and is like, Hey, uh, give okay, yeah. here. who do you think you are? Right. And so he, you know, he says, gird up now thy loins like a man for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I? I laid the foundations of the earth. Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. This is talking about the creation of the earth, right? The creation of land, the foundations of the earth. Yep. Where was Job when this was happening? Job wasn't created yet, right? This is like, you know, some rhetorical questions that God is asking Job. Here. Yeah. Uh, and so from that verse, right, I think it's very clear that these Nephilim, because the same word here used in Genesis 6, uh, it, Nephilim is used for these sons of God here in Job 38, 7. And there's no way that any human being could be at the beginning of creation uh, when God is creating the earth, you know? And so this is... You know, one of the aspects of scripture that was really, I don't know how you can overlook this and and not seriously degrade from the the story of the Old Testament here. So much of God's, you know, God's providential hand over the Israelites during this time period. I mean, it's fighting against these giant tribes, going to the Holy Land and cleaning yep. out the remnants of these giant tribes, right? Because most of them are killed uh you know during the flood and there's clearly some difference between the giants before the flood and the giants after the flood uh in terms of their you know their capabilities but it talks about in genesis 6 right it talks about in those days and the days after right so we're talking about there are giants yes before the flood but there's also giants after the flood and this is talked about i mean you know obviously Goliath, right? Probably the biggest example. We know that these things are alive and in the Holy Land after the flood. Uh, and, you know, you there's a couple different measurements that you can use for the cubits, right? Uh, but the generally accepted, you know, the King James Version, the generally accepted measurement of a cubit is 18 inches. And so that would make Goliath like, you know, either nine or 11 feet tall, depending on your translation. I'm a King James Version personally. Uh, which is its, yeah. its own rabbit hole, but uh, it's it's very clear from the physical description. I mean, the amount of weight that this man was carrying. Uh, there's, you know, I, I like lifetime weights, right? I can't imagine 
having a 300 pound kit and still being able to fight effectively, you know? Exactly. He was so intimidating and terrifying. And, you know, some of the, uh, the extra biblical text talks about, uh, you know, the voices of these creatures were like very disturbing to hear. Right. And so somehow he cowed the entire army into fear of this man. You know, if he, if he was overburdened with this, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of equipment, uh, you know, right. Like they wouldn't realize, oh, this guy can't fight in this kind of stuff. Right. It's, we're not just talking about, you know, a super athlete, a LeBron James type, or, you know, we're talking about creatures that are otherworldly and inhuman, you know, and, and this is, it dovetails perfectly into this transhuman agenda uh, that they have unfolding here. And yeah, once you read yeah, some so, patents and you see some of this stuff, I mean, it's like you were saying, no, it, it it's hard to wrap your mind around some of this stuff, but I mean, they've been- So it's my understanding decades. too, you know? Yeah. So now, you know, they, well, they, they, you know, that they had a physical form, they were physically here. And what's crazy is when you look at this and you go back and you research, you know, not just the biblical narrative, but you read like, you know, you read about like Greek mythology and you hear about like the Chinese talking about dragons and the, 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 the you know, India and the Hindus talking about the Trimurti and, and the glorious stories of the Bhagavita and these cosmic wars and and, you know, obviously the Aztecs and the stuff that they were drawing and depicting the Peruvians, all these, dude, all these different cultures from all around the world, you know, the Native Americans have stories about, about giants, you know, um, the, you know, red haired giants and all this stuff. And it's like, it really does tie all together. It really does. And I think like when people think like Greek mythology is just like nonsense and just make believe in these, like just these amazing stories that they were coming up with to entertain themselves. I think that actually these were the 10 kings of the Nephilim that were ruling the world. And what does the Bible and prophecy talk about in Revelations is that in the end times is the 10 kingdoms, you know, and I think this is the reemergence of those disembodied spirits finding new forms to encapsulate. Maybe that's what CERN's about. And by the way, like CERN has Shima doing the cosmic dance of destruction out in front of them. And they have like three tablets outside of the Hadron Collider that have the world's three most ancient languages, Aramaic, Sanskrit, and Mandarin. And it's like, what are they trying to communicate with? This is not just strictly a science institute. They're an occultist institute. Like, what are they summoning? What are they doing? Like, what, what they're, it's magic with a K, you know, and they're ushering these things back into the world, you know? And uh, this stuff is real. Like the Greek mythology, like those were the, 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 the Nephilim. Those were the angels. Those were the offsprings of them copulating with human beings. And they were destroying humans, man. They were consuming us. They were wiping us out, man. You go read actual like what was going on and, and and then that's why I think, you know, I think the book of Job should have been canon, but you know, I'm not the book of Job, sorry, Enoch, you know, the book of the giants, you got all these different like uh, wonderful extra biblical writings, but it makes a lot of sense of the Bible when you go and read those things, but it's taboo in the, and well, in a lot of churches, my pastor is cool. He'll talk about all this stuff. Uh, you know, it's really, it really does tie all together. Once you start pulling on the string you know, it really does unravel this major tapestry. And I've always told people, like, I think of, uh, I, I, I use this metaphor with people and they say, well, like if I'm talking about non-believers or people that may even be like atheist or, you know, agnostic or whatever. And they're like, well, how does this God and how do all these religions exist? And then they all believe in these different gods. And I say, you know, well, honestly, like God is, think of him as a spider and he weaves this giant web you know, and if you're a fly trapped on one part of the web, 
you're not seeing the fly that's trapped on the completely opposite side of the web, you know, but you guys are both, you know, uh, it was the same spider that wove that web, but you have two different perspectives of what the web looks like. You know what I mean? And I think that's God. It's just people from different cultures had different ways of explaining these things and these phenomenons. But if you really go and research like these ancients, these ancient civilizations and these ancient people and you research what they were teaching, all of them talk about a great flood, you know, and it's just like modern science and, you know, uh, what do they call them? Like geologists and anthropologists and all these. They don't, they, these aren't scientifically accepted um, narratives, you know. And if you if you try to bring this stuff out, they'll snuff it out with their institutions that control everything, like the Smithsonian, which supposedly they have the remnants of some of these giants under lock and key. They don't let you go look at them or study them. They know that they exist. And what's their logo? It's a Jesuit logo. Go look at the Smithsonian logo. It's a Jesuit logo. Like, people, this is a giant conspiracy and everything does tie together. That's what we're trying to get you to see here. What What do you think? Oh, absolutely, man. This is, uh, you know, this is one of the revelations that's really become apparent to me. Uh, rereading the Bible, rereading Genesis uh, through the proper lens, right? And realizing that this is history. This is the history of the world. Uh, and when you look at the actual archaeological evidence and the real historical record here, uh, it's painfully evident. So like you mentioned, the the flood mythology, I mean, this shows up on every continent. There's people that talk about the flood, a worldwide flood, not like a localized area flood, right? The entire world flooded. Uh, I mean, I believe it's the Babylonians. The There is a preacher who saves his family. His name is Noah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, and this is not just, it's not just the stories that have similarities, right? Uh, this was uh, something I covered in my uh, part four of my biblical cosmology series is that it's not just the stories, right? It's the architecture and it's the symbology. And this is how you know that there is, I mean, I would argue there's not a bunch of religions. There's two religions. There's Christianity, right? And then there's the mystery religion. And all these other religions go. are basically just teaching the the precepts of the mystery religion through their own different lens and interpretation, right? Which is what happens, you know, with the babbleizing of languages seen in Genesis wow. a bit. And so Ooh, that is, for me. I mean, this is real history. And that's why you see the pyramids on every single continent that humans inhabited. Every single one, we have pyramids, right? We have pyramids in North America, the Indian earthen mounds. Uh, there's a ton of occult symbology. I mean, we're talking about like gematria and symbology that is just with what we have been told about how, you know, these people, they didn't have horses, they didn't have wheels, they didn't have hand tools. Uh, they used like seashells and wisher <laughs> baskets to carry. Yeah. I mean, I, I recommend some of the readers look at, you know, the earthen mounds that are in Ohio and Kentucky. Serpent mounds and yep. They, yeah, they, hop, do it. they wouldn't let them shoot there. They, they had to fly drones over it when they talked about it. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that one, the the symbology in the serpent mound there, that is, right? It lines up with constellations in the sky still to this day. How? Oh, yeah. On this spinning rock in this spinning cosmos. You know, it is crazy, just like you say, and I don't mean to cut you off, brother, because this show is yours, but you get me fired up. And I just want to point this out. Like you say, these people are carrying wicker baskets and wielding rocks and clacking stones together, yet they can cut these megalithic structures at such precision 
And, and, and we're talking about hard material on some of these megaliths, right? Like, okay, if you know anything about the Mohs scale, you can't, it takes very specific, uh, if you're going to break apart a, a metal or a substance with something, it has to be harder than that substance, right? How are they ha- using these supposed rock and copper tools or whatever they had, and they're, they're, they're cutting these megaliths that are sh- through these stones that are stronger on the Mohs scale? It's impossible. They had to have advanced technology. Yeah, you look at some of the structures, uh, particularly in South America, you can see uh, the differences in the cultures uh, quite clearly through the architecture, right? So the really stunning thing about these, uh, you know, the South American pyramids, the Egyptian pyramids, uh, there's no mortar used. And these rocks are machined so precise that they basically are suctioned to each other pressure and that's how they stay on top of each other there's no mortar used at all it is i mean it's stuff we couldn't do now right i mean we could not create things of this level of precision i mean with lasers and all the stuff we have we couldn't do it so i mean it's and then you look at some of the other cultures right and you can see oh yeah obviously this is the the people that are making this part of the building are not the same people that made the bottom part of this building you know, and so, uh, you, you know, you talk about the servant mill. They were, they were, they were, uh, yeah, they were emulating what the, what was left behind from the, uh, from the Nephilim, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Enoch talks about this, that the, the Nephilim teach humans, uh, you know, how to wage war, how to, uh, you know, create herbal, uh, remedies. Um, they teach us how to abort alchemy. Yeah. They teach us alchemy. Uh, they teach us all these evil, horrible things, right? And so either, I guess you can believe that all these people just created, I mean, some of the most amazing structures that are, I mean, still to this day, right? You know, if you have the chance to go and see one of these things, I mean, it's incredible, the level of precision. Uh, and I haven't, and that's a life's dream of mine. Oh yeah, I would, I really want to go and do like a, a whole pyramid world tour now and see some of this stuff. Because yeah, it's, you know, there's pyramids in Zian, China, and Giza, Egypt, and Teotihuacan. Uh, they all line up with the Orion Belt, right? I mean, it is incredible the amount of uh, similarities we have in these pyramid structures, the symbology, right? And I think that really goes all the way back to Babel here in Babylon. And, you know, that's why we're getting this refractured telling of basically the same story here, right? The story was the original one world government. And, uh, you know, that's what <laughs> the mystery religion is, you know, always been about at the end of the day. Yes, sir, man. And I know we're getting deep in this, man. I know, uh, Alex hit me up with a little message on the screen. Let me know. We went over 90 minutes and that was about 10, 15, 20 minutes ago. Uh, we're going to kind of start tapering it down. So I wanted to just ask you again, and this has been uh, just a tremendous time, man. I'm, I'm sorry, dude, but we're going to have to if you're down, dude, I want to bring you on for maybe a part two and even three, and we can we can come together and we can get really specific. We kind of free. I know we said we're going to talk about this and that kind of bounced all over the place, but man, you get me fired up and and you just speak with so much authority and conviction. And when you read God's word, bro, you were literally giving me the chills from head to toe. And you said things too that were a revelation to me while we were speaking. So this is church, bro. This is church right now, you know. And I'm feeling this. I'm fired up. You know, I, I, oh man, this has just been so tremendous, but, uh, I'm going to leave you 
you know, with the final segment and just talk about whatever's been on your heart or something, a message that you got for people out there. And then we'll kind of just wrap this thing up, buddy. And then we'll, we'll have a part two for you folks. Yeah, man. Thank you. It's been tremendous. I've, uh, definitely coming back. So it is, man, I, I guess, you know, we've talked about a lot of difficult things, hard things. Um, I, despite all the craziness that's going on right now, I actually feel really hopeful. Uh, I, there's a lot of changes coming. There is a lot of changes coming. I think it's, uh, we're going to look at this country in 10 years and we're not going to recognize it, uh, for better, for worse. Uh, we are at the, on the cusp of something truly momentous, you know, momentous and historic here. Uh, there are so many events, you know, just confluing together at the same time here. It is, I know it's a scary time and I know there is a lot of despair uh, out there, you know, particularly in the church and after everything that's happened the last couple of years here. But I, something that's just really not, I, I can't shake it. You know, I just can't shake this idea. What if we're wrong? What if the, I mean, cause the enemy has the playbook too, right? The enemy knows. I mean, it's like they're following revelation to a T here, all this, right? They're getting all the, I mean, they're yep. getting all the greatest hits here, you know? And so as I've read history and I've, uh, I've read, you know, some of this stuff lately, right? It's, this is something they've tried to do before. You know, they have tried to force prophecy's hand before. They have tried to make revelation real before. And so there are so many times throughout human history where we would look back and you'd be like, oh yeah, of course, you know, we're in the end time. You know, if you were living during that time period, right? I mean, think about the Black Death. You know, two thirds of your town dies uh, in a couple of yes. months. You know, I that would be like the end of the world. You know, or think of uh, you know the sack of Constantinople, the Christian. I mean, this is one of the longest running Christian civilizations in human history, right? Over, I mean, if you count them as the original, the extension of the Roman Empire, we're talking about sixteen hundred years almost. Uh, this civilization was, uh, you know, in existence, right? And so. The Hagia Sophia, which is now a Muslim mosque, uh, the Christians were held up in this mosque and they thought, you know, there was all these prophecies that the, you know, they were going to be saved. Uh, they thought the rapture was coming. Uh, and as they're held up in the mosque here, right, the doors kick open. They think the angels are coming and it's the Turks. And so <laughs> there are a lot of times where you could look at this, you know, you could take what's going on in the world and you could say, wow, this really matches up with scripture. And I see a lot of what's going on here, you know? And I, I understand the impulse and I understand, and I mean, it's a topic that I'm very fascinated with too. So it's not like, you know, I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about myself here a little bit too, you know? And so it's, we just can't get focused on these kinds of things. And I think, you know, particularly with the idea, uh, that we are the fig tree generation or this is the end of the days. Uh, I just feel there's a real fatalism, you know, within God's people and within the church. And I just, we need to reject that totally, man. Like there's nothing we can do. There's, you know, first of all, our God walked out of the tomb. Okay. There's, (laughs) there is no, there's nothing. 
that he cannot accomplish and you know through him us and so if this is the end of days this is the last days then we should be zealous in our attempts to soul win right and talking about the gospel and i mean yeah i'm not hiding your light under a bushel you know and this is something that i've really tried to internalize more and more you know is that god is real we cannot ignore the creator of the universe. We cannot ignore what he has told us about how we should live our lives, about how we should run our societies, and then expect things to work out in our favor when we totally, you know, forsake all of this. And so I, we just have to keep preaching the good word, you know, and if you want to change America, you're not going to do it through a political party and you're not going to do it through a man and you're not going to do it through, you know, nope. You know, some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of uprising. The only way we're going to do it is through Jesus Christ. Wow, man. Uh, absolutely beautiful, dude. Like, I'm just so heartwarmed that you came on my show and you spent this time with us, my brother, man. Like, that's, uh, I'm little emotional man because it's so true and i see what you're saying in that fatalistic way you know we need not succumb to our fears no man knows the day nor the hour if anybody claims he does he's probably a false prophet let's not worry about what tomorrow brings for today's have their own troubles remember that scripture so god can count the birds in the sky and clothe the lilies of the field how more precious are you my son or my daughter you know what i mean like that's absolutely beautiful Let's focus on the positive. Let's focus on winning the spiritual battle. And just thank you so much to everybody who spent this time with us. You brought us tremendous content, Scipio. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. And this is a new friendship, man, that I plan to carry on the rest of my life, man. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to do great things. And, you know, as we wrap this episode up, I'd like you to stick with uh, Alex and I and talk to us a little longer off the air. But, um, man, it's we're so grateful that you came on our platform. And dude, I think you're just going to explode, man. God has a huge blessing for you and you just need to be prepared for it and just keep doing what you're doing. You're such a humble man. You're such a wise man and you're so young. I can't believe, man, when I was your age, dude, I was not <laughs> on any of this. Stuff. So mad props. I'm so, I'm so enthralled and excited to see all these young people in this movement, you know, and you know, God really is tremendous and beautiful and, uh, I'll give you the final word. You could just say, say bye to everybody and just let everybody <clears throat> know once again where to go find your stuff. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's, I, I can take credit for it. I can't take credit for it. Uh, this is, you know, this is a God, right? He will give you wisdom. Uh, just pray for it. You know, this is, this is one of the beautiful things about God, right? Is that, <laughs> I mean, maybe some of this stuff sounds profound. I'm just, I, I'm just, believing what God has to say about the world and applying that, you know, to my life in the best way that I can. And so wisdom is one of the gifts of the spirit and you can pray to God and he will reveal these things to you. Right. And he will reveal his truth and he will shower you with wisdom. You know, uh, I don't think this is, uh, anyone can do this. Anyone can go and read and understand this stuff. It's not, you know, I encourage all the listeners, right. You know, maybe you're not on the same spiritual page or you're not in the same you know on the same uh you know uh level right now right but i would just encourage you know all the listeners uh get that king james version read god's word uh 
truly spend time with your creator because you can't learn. I mean, the only way you can learn to love art is through the Bible, you know? And so, uh, I just want to appreciate you for, you know, having me here, reaching out, dude, uh, your encouragement, man. And if the, uh, readers, you know, my Substack is dfreality.substack.com, uh, dispatches from reality. I'm Scipio Eruditus. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you folks for tuning in. Also, a real quick shout out to Robert Lick from the Flat Earth Reality. Go listen to his last episode with Alex. Um, I don't know if it's released. It should be. If not, it'll be coming out soon. And, you know, this episode will be hopefully dropping. We'll work on it sometime tonight and drop it tomorrow. This has been a great time. Uh, we're going to go with our outro song. And just remember, folks, to all my firmamentalists out there, protect your dome. We'll see you next time. How do we find ourselves here within these walls and chains as a teardrop lands? Who is there to blame?
storm till skies turn 